Have you ever been gaming or working online classes and your internet service constantly gets interrupted? First Nations Fiber is about to ensure that just won't happen again. Get ready for high speed at a new level. Click on fnfiber.com and sign up today. First Nations Fiber, empowering people through connectivity. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Beating Table, where we're making strides one beat at a time with your hosts, myself, Leif Makiwa, and Degonohyakwa Margaret Standa. Degonohyakwa, how are you doing today? Good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sore and tired, but I'm good. Awesome. So I hear you've embarked on a new extracurricular activity <laughs> and you are hitting the gym floor and you are participating in this month's three-on-three basketball tournament, I believe? <laughs> yeah, yes, I am. Yeah, it was very last minute. I actually, our team got the last spot that was available in the tournament. What is your team's name for all the listeners? <laughs> the old biddies. <laughs> yeah, it, somebody was joking and said, oh, my friend Gus was like, hey, we should put it in a team and whatever. But she was joking because she's she was like, no, 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 I'm not. I'm not playing really. She'll watch. Yeah. But uh, but then I was like, but why not? Like, so the girls that she tagged in, I tagged everyone and said like, okay, do you really want to play? Like, because mm -hmm. most of them had said, yeah, like maybe we'll all play. So yeah, we ended up uh, putting in a team. It's just uh, three on three. There's six of us on the team. And uh, the majority of us played together forever since we were kids. We used to have uh, a league at the KYC when we were younger. Um, and I think three or there four of us played together on that on that league and then high school uh we were a lot of us were on the same team so it was pretty interesting we were all super scared because we're all we're not old but we're older considering like a lot of them are all teenagers like my daughter was supposed to be playing my son he has a broken collarbone so he's couldn't play but he would have normally played yeah he was even trying to play yesterday but i'm like get out of here so, but yeah, it was so much fun. Oh my God. I felt like I was a teenager. Was it standing again. room only? Uh, no, no, no. Oh. There, there's space. Like uh, there was a lot of people watching, uh, just a lot of families and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was really fun. We won our first game actually. Awesome. We really. <laughs> we were, and who did you beat? Uh, it was, I don't remember the team's name, but it was a group of like teenage boys. Okay, cool. So when we went up against them, I was like, oh man, we're all going to die. Like. And we all held our own. Everyone was mm -hmm. okay. Thank God for subs. And, you know, <laughs> we were on the floor for a little bit and everyone just, we had to just keep rotating off. But yeah, for the most part, we all pretty much like knew what we were doing. We all remembered like how to play. Like, so yeah. And uh, I was just proud. My kids weren't embarrassed of me. They said I played really well. <laughs> <laughs> so, and uh, yeah, I had even at one point hit a three-pointer. And oh my goodness. Yeah. Like I used to play a lot. Like yeah. I, I was a big player when I was younger. I used, that was my whole sport. I loved it. And, um, my daughter's friend, he's like a young kid, like young boy. He even wrote to my daughter, like, did you see your mother hit that three? <laughs> so I was like, oh, I feel so popular. No. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, good. I didn't suck. So yeah, it was, it was really fun though. It was, uh, we have two more weeks. It's every other week, uh, for the whole month, uh, month of March. So yeah, it was exciting. It was fun. And, uh, for those who don't know, it's at the Ganawage Youth Center. They have all kinds of, um, activities that they hold throughout the year. And this is just one of them. So mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Healthiness is great. Greatness, I guess. <laughs> yeah. 
It was. Awesome. And you, how's it going? How's everything? I am doing really good. Uh, right now, we're just entering in. So when you're listening to this, everybody um, will be right in the middle of our March break. So right now, as we're taping, this is my first day on March break. And uh, yeah, so just getting ready to hit the the stores with my youngest, who's been begging me for the past two days, can we go to the store so I can get some new toys for March break? Aww. And so I, I think we're going to do that after this taping. And so, yeah. But other than that, doing good. I had an interview yesterday, which was, oh my God, wild. And I was so <laughs> nervous. And I think I did really well. And so it, it was an interview for the artist in residence. So, so hopefully um, next two weeks... Probably by the next taping, I'll find out for sure whether or not I got it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it it was it was an interview that and questions that I never really thought about, just because I don't normally talk about art, like my artwork mm-hmm. and what I want to do and different things like that, and where or who I am and all that kind of stuff. And in, in oh, sorry about that, in those aspects of my life. So it was like, oh man, like uh, what am I going to say? And hopefully, I answer the questions because. I can be long-winded. So I was worried about that. Like, did I make it back to where I'm supposed to be? And they really enjoyed it. And I had to make a presentation, which is for anybody who knows me, my comfort zone is not in writing and not in reading. I can do both, but it's not something I particularly enjoy. And I get very anxious about it and I leave it to the last minute. So yesterday morning I was doing my presentation. I had like the rough draft of what I wanted to do. But to actually put words to paper or on the computer, I should say. And I've never done like a PowerPoint myself, really. And you were like freaking out like all week at the store. <laughs> like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. And so but it ended up being it, it ended up being I made it bigger in my mind yeah. that it was going to be difficult where really it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And when I realized the presentation when it was only five minutes, I freaked out because on the interview itself was over an hour I was like, oh man, but I can talk. Like that's where I feel comfortable. So yeah, and sometimes it's easier. I find if they're asking you questions and things that are guided or direct, then it's yeah. you know you're just answering the questions yeah. really. So it tend, it'd be different if you had to just talk and they're just sitting there quiet and like yes. staring at you. You know. Yes. And I'm gonna say this because I want everybody to go out or to seek out this magazine because now I know for sure I am going to be. In the April-May issue of Native American Art Magazine. Yay! I'm going to have a feature in that magazine. And it's a quill and beadwork issue. So anybody who's interested to see some of the stuff I, I guess some of the stuff I have, which is basically on Instagram, but to see all the other artists too who are going to be featured in there, you should go pick up a copy of that. So Yay. it should be and interesting. where can we get them? I have no idea. <laughs> Maybe online you I can don't, order. Like, I haven't bought a magazine in a long time. And the last time I got Native Art Magazine, is it Native? No, it's Native American Art Magazine. Sorry, not Native Art Magazine, Native American Art Magazine. Um, it was at the Santa Fe Indian Market because they do like this weekend right now, the March, I think it's March 4th and 5th at the Herd Museum in Phoenix. They're having their Indian Market there now. And so they have issues that they they put out for though for like that show, the Herd Museum and the, or Herd Guild Museum. And then they'll also put out an issue for the Santa Fe Indian Market. So the last time I actually had one of their magazines was when I was at the show last year in August. So I'm assuming you can buy it at the newsstand, I would assume, at Chapters and all those other places. So wherever you frequent, you can. And you can always look online. I hope. I don't, I'm not sure how that works. But yeah, so it cool. should be interesting. 
Cool, cool. Yeah, so that was my, those are my two big things that I can finally talk about because the interviews already passed and I know the guy told me he'd be very happy with what we did. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, so good. So I thought I'd just, it's in the process. It's in the process. So yeah, so, and that, and I'm beating for sure. But other than that, nothing, I don't think anything else. So, so we have lots of questions. Some are deep questions mm -hmm. and some are just like little quick ones. Before we get into that, yep. I just wanted to say, I want to thank everybody who reached out um, mm. with their feedback on the last episode that we did. We're very appreciative to know that we have dedicated listeners and are just want to share their experiences and also just like interacting with us outside of the podcast. So yeah, we'll mm -hmm. go for that. Yeah, we've had a lot of uh, really good conversations about a lot of the topics that came up last week or last taping, sorry. So yeah, so Nyawa for that. So I'm just going to scan through my book, my my little artist book here. So so I'll I'll start with some of the easier questions, mm -hmm. I guess. One came through, it said, how do you work through it when you have big orders? Meaning, so say if you are doing an order mm -hmm. that is a large order that you know is going to take long mm -hmm. and you're sitting with it and sitting with it and then you're tired of the colors, you're tired of the design. How do you push through it and just keep going and get it done? Like, obviously it has like to get done. Like how you maintain momentum to finish the order? Yeah, I guess. Mm. I think what, well, I know what I do. What I do is if I find that I'm in, not in the best place and I kind of find myself right there right now, I have this huge, it's not an order, but I have a few, a huge project, my daughter's outfit. And when I... When I know I'm not like really jiving with that particular project, I start a small project on the side. Mm -hmm. And so in this case, I've started two small projects on the side and I'm almost finished both of them. Yeah. And that's how kind of I work through it. And yeah, I think too, depending on what your timeline is, some orders might be big, but they don't take a long time because it's just like, it just is really fast and it, it, you're really into it. If it's something that I know from the get-go that maybe it might take a long time, I try to tend to start earlier to get part of it done. And if I know it's going to be daunting, then I wait and I have that time, that flexibility so that I can do it last minute if I have to and know that I'm not leaving everything to the last minute, that part of the project is done. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Right. Yeah. For me, I think it's, I know for, for myself that I tend to gravitate to instant gratification. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like when I'm working on a big project, you're not getting that. When you do something small, yes, it's like, all right, it's done. It's instant. Like mm -hmm. I got it out and I feel great and blah, blah, blah. But uh, yeah, bigger projects are obviously not that way. So sometimes I remind myself that, okay, right now, this is what you're looking for. You want your instant gratification and you can't get it right yeah. now. So just push through, get it done and don't worry about it. You know, like that's like my own little quirk mm -hmm. I guess so I also clean procrastinate I clean because I get that instant gratification oh yeah yeah like you know or yeah yeah true or organize yeah. something and I'll be like okay I, I feel like I'm like you got it I'm yeah. making progress yeah. yeah you got it out all right so that's that what are some of your favorite or preferred beads to use mm, well I'm uh, Yuki size 15 <laughs> seed beads that and any kind of antique beads I find mm-hmm are my preferred beads and anything that just is goes well with the project, really. Like in all honesty, it's anything and everything except plastic sometimes. Like I'm not very, I'm not a fan of plastic mm -hmm. beads, but yeah, I'll just, I'll use anything really as so, long as it goes with 
What about budget. not just the the style or like yeah. the but what about the like the col- not the color but like the the finish? So what are your preferred in that sense? Do you like the silver line? Do you like I don't really care for silver line too much. I don't know why. I just don't really I I don't think I use that very much aside from like the white or the cr- the cl- like the crystal with the silver line that one. That that or it would be a matted crystal with silver lined. I use I use that very often. I don't tend to use a lot of silver line beads. I don't mind using matte beads, but I really I just don't really care for the sound they make. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like having chalky. marbles. Yeah, together. like chalk yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And so <laughs> I use them because they do add a different dimension compared to if you're doing opaque shiny beads. It's a really good contrast and it's excellent to create dimension. So yeah, of course I use them. I just really don't care for them. Yeah, I like. I just like shiny beads. I guess you know. <laughs> so I mean, I don't. I do use some color line beads, but not very often because sometimes those kind of beads, depending on the color, the color will fade on you. Mm-hmm. Now I don't always keep that in con- to consideration what beads I'm using, but I think I tend not to use so many beads that would fade because that's not really my color palette. Like purple and pink are tend to be in the in the bead business, if they're dyed, they'll fade mm-hmm. depending on the finish they have on the outside, like Duracoat beads, they don't fade as predominantly as other beads. And these are all just terms that I use because I sell beads. So I kind of know that, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I don't tend to use pink and purple so much. Mm-hmm. I'm more like the earthy kind of look or now I'm really doing a lot of white and crystal kind of colors. It's just, I just, I think I just like the simplicity, but the complexity of how they how making one color come to life in various tones and mm-hmm. in things. different ways yeah how about you what kind of beads do you prefer the dusty kind no dusty. <laughs> uh i like the for me I, I do like a variety of beads and well i am like a bit of a snob i like the miyuki seed beads the most mm-hmm. i love charlotte's for line work uh i like toho's Mm-hmm. Um and then in and why would you say so? Then maybe this is a question. Why would you prefer Toho beads compared to Mayuki beads? Uh, it's the the cut of them. They're okay. slightly they're they're a cross between that and a Delica, so they're yeah. slightly like squared a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I like mm-hmm. that for the they they hold uh, for me anyways. The way I bead, I don't know, it they hold nicer when they're flat for mm-hmm. me. So I use that for the finishes. I tend to gravitate towards the um, the matte beads. I like the finish, but like you said, it's that sound, sound they make. Yeah. They're chalky sounding. I like the matte. I like the opaque. How about the silver lined? No. <laughs> I don't like crazy shine yeah. to my stuff. If I do put it in, I do like it. I'm not not that I don't like it, but I don't like excessive mm-hmm. on mine. Um, I tend to like a, a balance of, mm-hmm. of things. So it's like if I'm going to use something that has a lot of shine, like right now I just made, I just posted it, was the, that orange. Mm-hmm. That one has, it's very, very bright. I think it has a silver orangey lining in mm-hmm. it. But then everything else around it is uh, opaque. Mm-hmm. It's It has like a slight pearly gloss to it or, or they're, they're matte. They're matte, yeah. Yeah. I like to, I, I just find for me, it's too much if I look at mine and I'm like, okay, I, I have to balance it out. I, yeah. I don't like it when there's too much shine all over. I, this is blasphemous. <laughs> I don't like antique beads if they're not cut. 
Because they're not all the, the same, same. Size. It drives yeah. me nuts. I find it so hard to do any raised bead work with those because they're so, they're jagged. The way yeah. they're cut, they cut your thread and all that. Oh, you mean the cut glass? Yeah, the cut glass Oh ones. my God, I hate them too. Yeah, and I have so much. My great-grandmother had a lot of them. Um, I shouldn't say hate. I just don't, I prefer not to. Yeah, it's, they're hard to, they're hard to use for raised. They work really well for flat though. Mm -hmm. They're, they're, yeah. they, they're nice in that sense. They give a different dimension, but they're almost, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but for the way I like my stuff to look, yeah. they don't drive with, yeah. with my raised beadwork. But the colors, some of them, the colors are really nice. Yeah. Like I had a really dark blue, purple iridescent color. Uh, and it was black, almost the the thing. But yeah, but I love them. But it was just like they, I, it was limited to where I would use them because mm -hmm. they're so they're they're not uniform. They're all cut all different and they're all crazy. So I tend to not use them except for special things because they're my great grandmother's. Yeah. But you know that kind of thing. So hmm. yeah. So that was that question. Here was another part two to that. Mm -hmm. Felt or pellen for vamps? Neither. Neither. So hers is neither. Mine, I use pellen when I do the vamps, but even that I prefer like a medium grade, okay. I guess, because there's a th really thick and then there's all the way down to a thin pellen. Like and the thick one would be stiffer or just plushier? Plush both a little okay. bit, but it's plushier. It's a lot thicker. So I don't like that either because I find you get a bit of a crinkle sometimes okay. to it. Yes. Okay. So I like the in-between where it moves a little bit, but yeah, so that's my preference. So the question I'm paraphrasing here was like, okay. to get like the sparkle going on, what do you do? Like, do you use the silver line beads to get that look or do you use Charlotte cut? Like, how would you create the shine in your beadwork? I don't necessarily use, well, if I really want shine, I guess I would use silver lined. I try not to use Charlotte because the whole, of the oh, Charlotte, the small ones anyway, like if yeah. you're talking about like 13 or whatever, sometimes the, the whole of that bead is too, it varies too much. And what I find is, is because there's a very, and those people who know about sharp size 13s, John James Sharp size 13 will know that it's very hard to find that size needle. And that needle often people would use, especially Stam Merritt Cross, would use that needle for her Charlottes because she would use a lot of, she would use Charlottes in the beginning a lot. And I'm not sure if she uses them as much, but so she would use specifically the short 13. Now, because you can't find them, I'm not going to be out there trying to use Hunt them. Down, yeah. No, I'm not going to try to use beads that necessarily will might use up all my size 13 needles. needles. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I save my needles for other things like because I use other antique beads that I'd rather use it on. So I don't tend to use Charlotte's very often. I do. I've bought in Charlotte's in the past. I think I might have bought size 15 though, which seems like it might be smaller, but for some reason it's not. And it depends on the color you buy. I know before, I think it might've been a cream color that was really, the hole was really small. So it with, like you said, like yeah. with other beads that aren't necessarily as uniform, you kind of weigh it as it comes kind of like sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So I don't necessarily use Charlotte's small cut. I might use a two cut bead or something else like that. But I just like to use like the crystally. Right now I'm actually using an antique bead that I believe is a cut. I think I I think I got it from Grant. I'm almost 100% sure. I don't think it's a size 12 maybe. It's really good. It's very jaggedy, like almost it's not as hard on a thread, like it's not that sharp, so it won't cut, 
but it gives that crystal a different, a different dimension. A yeah. different dimension. So, but I just like use like I don't know. I do. Is my beadwork? I don't even know if my beadwork is shiny. I don't know. But <laughs> I think that's what I like. That's no. What, it looks crystally like that last one you just showed yeah, me. It looks more crystally. crystally. Yeah. And then, and and that's where I think I tend to bead in the realm where I want to make sure that if the sun hits something, and not for whimsies necessarily, but if I'm doing things like a yoke or something, I tend not to do stuff that's too shiny because I want people to see it. Because mm-hmm. if it's the sun is hitting it or bright light, it's just going to come back. It's all shine. It's yeah. all shine. So yeah. 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 So for me, I like Charlotte's. I actually really love Charlotte's, but I tend to not get them because of the whole thing. Yeah. It's, it is really annoying to be going through them and sifting. It's mm-hmm. nice to find Charlotte's that are maybe like an 11. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And they have, you know, two or three cut or whatever, um, because the holes, even though they're like inconsistent, it's still, you can get a 12 through it easily. Mm -hmm. You do need, you still need like a a B thread. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I really do like Charlotte's though. They're a seed bead, but they do have that, like, it gives it that nice little shine on that cut area, you know? So I do love those. I would rather use those more than the silver line, but you know, that's it. So. <laughs> and so, and when we're talking about various sizes of beads, you can also counteract the dimension of the hole with the thread thickness. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like you can play around. There's the various types of thread. There's like double, there's triple O, which is really thin and small. And so for those really small micro beads, you might do that or double O I use. I'm not thinking I've ever used triple Triple O. Don't take me on my word there. Maybe I just made something up just now. Maybe there is no triple O, but I know for sure there's double O and I've used that. And that's a kind of thread that you don't take. I know some people to take their thread and make a big, long strength. I am not about that school of thought, especially when you're using a thin thread, because what happens is, is that because you take mm. a long piece, it's going to bust and then you're wasting thread. So I just take a little bit, less than half a meter and double it then. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes if the beads are so thin you won't double your thread because then you can't can't go back through it or whatnot so so just take that into consideration if you're looking for if you're having a hard time with going through beads if that's the issue then you can always change your thread it doesn't necessarily mean it's always a needle but keep in mind that the thickness will be at the eye which is the eye of the needle and then the thread Mm -hmm. doubled or singled so you got to be careful there so yeah so this one's just basics to beading. Uh, what materials do you need to start beading simple post earrings with the leather in the back? So I could answer that. Yeah. I just, I, I'm not a big earring person. but Neither I, am I. Yeah, but I've made pins and I've made earrings. Yeah, like made I just pins, yeah. recently done it. It's the same process. So to get that started, basic, basic beading, you need beads. You have to find, figure out which kind you like, your your size. They vary. The 15s, obviously, mm-hmm. we always talk about, but they're very small. 11s are good to start too. You kind of mm-hmm. get a handle, but you, you don't always get enough detailing with 11s because yeah. they're bigger, they're chunkier. So beads, you need a good beading thread. You need needles that are going to fit. And yes, there's needles that correspond to certain bead sizes. So you have to be aware of that. A stabilizer. So stabilizers are, there's a variety of different things. A lot of people use Aida cloth. They mm-hmm. use pellin. People use cardboard. It is very hard on your hands, though. That's where I started with the cardboard. You can use Bristol board, but thicker, mm-hmm. I would say. But that tends to wear out to yeah. a little bit quicker. 
Yeah, there's those kind of backing. Sometimes you can even use like cotton canvas, but you can double it up yeah. and it'll give it a little bit more um, stability. So those are some stabilizer ideas. Uh, if you're doing like a leather backing, then you need a leather, obviously. Mm -hmm. Thickness, you have to keep in mind like what the project is for. You know, if it's not really a high traffic thing, then you don't need you like, super a, thick. yeah, you don't need like a big giant moose hide, you know, yeah. where it's uh, an inch thick. Uh, you can kind of use anything. I tend to, s I use the commercial kind, like mm -hmm. what we get. Well, actually, I don't know if that's commercial really, but. Yeah, it's commercial. Yeah, commercial. Mm -hmm. But I don't like the ones that are like heavily dyed or heavily yep. um, processed where you, you could see a shine on them. I tend to, I don't get mm -hmm. that stuff. I get the ones that look more natural, that have less processing. There is hot moose hide, which is I like smoked hide, mm -hmm. uh, which is hard to find though. And it is very expensive because it's a extremely big job to do, mm -hmm. but well worth it. And yeah, sharp scissors. <laughs> you need all of that to, and then whatever your posts or whatever you want for your earrings. So that's like the basics to your um, And a beading material. mat or some, or some kind yeah. of thing to put your beads on that you're... Yeah, you when know. you're beating. So that's, uh, oh, a glue for the backing. So when you want to put it on. You're finished. Yeah, yeah, you're finishing. So to put the, the two pieces together, I don't recommend just sewing it closed. Yeah, you want uh, to have some stable. Yeah, I use the E300 or E600 glue. Mm -hmm. You can get a Michaels or whatever. It's just like in a small tube. That's like. How a, does that work? Like, is it good? I've never used it before. Uh, yeah, it's good for those kind of things. But if. Like not for anything else, really. Okay. Like it's it's. Is it like the hard. metal part? Like that's what you yeah. would. Okay. Yeah, it's like a all-purpose glue. Well, it's like it's like a cement kind of. Kinda, yeah. Okay. It gets really hard. So, um, yeah, it's a good glue for that. Like for things that are not gonna be that sh don't need to be moving, moving okay. later on. Yeah. So yeah, that's the the basics to to beading and basically covers any kind of. And beading you need project. your own patience. Yeah, yeah, and just be yeah. kind to yourself. <laughs> okay, so here are some of our bigger questions. Go for it. Okay, so this one was a interesting one. I, I kind of was, it's a lot to think about, but okay. it's pretty good. All right, can you talk about the importance of style, symbolism, and how it di uh, differentiates between natives? E uh, example, like Haudenosaunee raised beadwork, Ojibwe florals, Naskapi line work. I feel like people don't know beadwork design styles were meant to help us identify which tribe nation you're from. So can we talk on that? <laughs> I'm just like, oh, man. And I and I have it written down in my book, too, because I saw that last night and I wrote it and I wrote the same thing that you wrote. Mm -hmm. And I put an arrow underneath skull. I could like jot down my because sometimes I like to look at the questions and see what it is I'm getting into. So I have some idea because yeah. sometimes some of the questions are out of left field and you don't have chance to uh, yeah. think about it. So I put an arrow underneath and there's nothing <laughs> that I wrote because I was like, oh, my God. So what should I say? So what I will say is we have to remember that although we predominantly do raised beadwork right now, we do line work. And in the past, the majority, well, not the majority, when Haudenosaunee people started to do beadwork, they did line work. Before then, it was quill work. So I don't. In terms of that, I can see a huge differentiation between like Ojibwe and Anishinaabe kind of floral flat beadwork, which is totally, which is really a lot different than Odinoshuni yeah. beadwork in terms of the aesthetic style and look. So if I saw that, I would assume like I would, I know enough to say, 
oh, okay, this is what it is. And it's this coming is from that, that, that area. Way, yeah. yeah. So there's that. For myself, I do predominantly Haudenosaunee raised beadwork. And I say it that way because that's who I learned it from. I learned it from the Ganyagahaga women of the bead group that I was, the bead babes. Like, that's where I learned it from. Of course, we did line work. Like, you know, I mean, and even to begin with, I will say one of the bead members learned from her mother-in-law how to do the Sioux-style moccasins, which was very popular in the 90s here in Ganawaga. And I learned how to do that, too. So I've done that, too. And I, even in recent, like maybe three years ago or maybe even four years ago, I can't remember, I made a pair of moccasins that had... Haudenosaunee raised beadwork on them, but was in the style of the Sioux moccasin. So there's that. So, I mean, I think really what it comes down to is really, I guess, knowing where it is that you're, who you're learning from, I guess, or what what you're watching or what you're reading to really kind of know. I don't necessarily know all the symbolisms for different nations and what those could potentially mean. I kind of know a little bit, but that's not really my wheelhouse. What I do is I take things that I know, like the last pair of moccasins I made for the for Santa Fe it was called Dehnika and it was floral raised beadwork on the vamps and all flat line work in the back. Because it was very geometrical, like was in the beginning when a lot of Haudenosaunee people put adornment on their beaded adornment on their pieces. It was flat work, lines and different things like that. And so I did that on the back of the moccasin. What I incorporated incorporated is some of the things that I took from the Hopi Tewa culture, which is my family. And in terms of the corn, although corn is everywhere, in certain pottery images, you'll see it drawn basically how the Haudenosaunee draw it too, because corn is, this, is it's, it's the same, same everywhere. It's the same everywhere. <laughs> Different types of corn, but it's the same. So the stock I, looks the same everywhere. The stock looks the same everywhere, depending on the height and whatever. So I integrated that. And then I had something that kind of looked like a mesa that I would, that necessarily, that, ne that wouldn't necessarily be on a pot, but that I kind of melded the two. I don't think anybody who looked at my work would see that kind of symbolism because it was kind of something that I made up. Because I integrated both things and my interpretation. Two of them, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know a lot about that kind of stuff. I have symbols on my arm, like, you know, I kind of, you know, and I read into it what I want, what's on my body. So I would have to be more educated and versed in that. But there's some obvious things, like I said, the Ojibwe and Anishinaabe, how they do beadwork, also how the Inu do their different things and tufting and also like um, seal work and all that kind of stuff. Like you can kind of tell that it's different, but I don't know exactly where it belongs because I don't know everything about every yeah. person out there. So, Well, I think that's so like kind of just to go back to the first part of the question, it was, can you talk about the importance of style symbolism and how it differentiates between nations? So for me, I think when you're doing art, any types of art, when because people draw, people are doing paintings and things like mm -hmm. that, I really do think it's important to do some of your research. Doesn't mean you have to be an expert mm -hmm. or like go deep, dark into everybody else's culture and history, unless you want to. But mm -hmm. I do think it's important to know where these symbols do come from. Mm -hmm. Because as a Haudenosaunee artist, if I borrow something, I, I would make sure that I would give... Like kind of say like, well, this is kind of where it's from. This isn't mine. This this doesn't belong to me or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. because a lot of times, yes, it is important because a lot of times you see people getting tattoos all over the place mm -hmm. that aren't typically 
from their nation or their tribe and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. It's just like identifying who you are and those kind of things. So it is important to do some research on, on what is ours, what are other people's, you know, like it's like a conversation we just had with my son. He is going to be 17 soon. He wants to get a tattoo Mm -hmm. and he was drawing different things that he had seen or whatever. So when I looked at it, I had to tell him like, some of these aren't our um, because he wants something traditional, like that's like a traditional line work or our symbols and all that. So some of the symbols he chose weren't ours. They're more um, Polynesian or mm-hmm. different things. And we do have similar because water is water and, you know, mm-hmm. those kind of things. But we do have a certain style. So I said, it's important that you know that. I said to... It doesn't mean you can't get it, but it's important that yeah, you know yeah, that exactly. this is something, yeah. It's not that you can, or but if that's what you're looking for, if you want something to identify who you are, mm-hmm. then do your your research yeah. on what you what is mm-hmm. yours, you know, and mm-hmm. not somebody else's. So, yeah, I, I also was thinking about this question because it's, yeah, I was like, ah, I don't know. But I feel like now, because we have access to so much and to see so many things, like I look at say a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Now we're looking at beadwork, uh, historical beadwork and like, like Grant or Michael or, you know, these guys know a lot more yeah, on, like the, yeah. you know, where these things more come like historical from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we look at things kind of like that now, like where they came from, who they belong to. Like if you put Haudenosaunee and Ojibwe beadwork together from a hundred years ago, you can identify who's is who's even now there's a difference a visual difference yeah even now if you're sticking to traditional Haudenosaunee beadwork you can see the differences but because we do have access to to um seeing everybody else's stuff a lot of times things blend they go into each other or you know they they kind of okay so I have a question morph and adapt this is something that I just thought of okay Mm -hmm. so we said in the general term Haudenosaunee beadwork so when somebody does something that is, say, let's just say beaded earrings, because beaded earrings is what we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Somebody says beaded, does beaded earrings under Haudenosaunee, would that be considered Haudenosaunee beadwork? <laughs> See, and, and that but just came styles, to me. styles, maybe, like uh, But what if it's just floral? flat? What if it's just flat? But it's just, if it, like, you know, just a Haudenosaunee person doing yeah. whatever. That's is Would that be considered Haudenosaunee beadwork? I think it's a, like a new... New age, you know, it's like that kind of thing. Because when you when you say Haudenosaunee beadwork, like if you, it's I think of pin cushions, I think of whimsies, moccasins, those kind of things. Like to say old traditional, I don't remember ever seeing historically women wearing like maybe quill work or things like that, like a long time ago, but not like the earrings that we mm-hmm. see now, like where it's big flowers or things like that. Like, yeah, I don't know where even all of that originate or if that's just an ad- adaptation yeah. to to the time, yeah. you know, like things change now. So I think a lot of it is just evolving, really. It's a lot of work is evolving because even that, when you look at historical pieces to now, things Yes, the styles are similar. We we tend to go with our florals and nature and things like that, but the look of them is still different from mm-hmm. before, you know? So it's, things adapt, things change. I also was thinking about the importance of writing your name on the back of things. Yeah. I think in mm-hmm. like a hundred years, you know, like we do all this beadwork and now we see all this stuff and we don't know who did it. There's mm-hmm. no names. There's no nothing. We don't know what nation it came from, you know, those kind of things. Just maybe by style, you can kind of guess, but you still like, like that. We have uh, at the store, we have uh, old Mohawk beadwork, mm-hmm. but we don't know from where. where? It could be Gunasadage, yeah. Akwizasne, here, you know, like Six Nations. You don't yeah. know where it's coming from. 
So yeah, those are the importance of those things. But it is important, I guess, for you to do some homework and know a little bit if that's the direction you want to go in to say like our symbolisms and our, you know, then, then mm-hmm. do your homework and know what your symbolisms are, I guess. And uh, yeah, so I don't know. That's our thoughts. Interesting on, question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a little bit hard too, because I was like, uh, I don't know. And that's not, and, and I'll be, I'll be honest with everybody that the historical part of beadwork is not my forte at all. I like to do beadwork. I like to look at stuff. Some things sold my boat, some things don't, but I'm not, I'm not a seeker of historical that. stuff. Yeah. And, but that does, that kind of like, that's my whole, like, I'm not a historical person in general, not mm-hmm. just to do beadwork, but just in general, that's not. I'm not very good with the, I'll just say, maybe I'm using an excuse. I'm not really good at remembering things and names and stuff and all that kind of jazz. So I try not to. That's not my wheelhouse. Yeah. So yeah. To do all that. What is next? What is next? Let me go through. My hands are sweaty. It feels like this is a big topic coming up. So what am I going to say? Am I going to make <laughs> no, a fool not, of myself or They're what? not major. Uh, some are maybe controversial. Well, hey, that's okay. But yeah. So we'll bring those up at the end because we'll probably go crazy into those. <laughs> all right. So... Supermarché Idia, your one-stop grocery store for your everyday needs. Offering regular groceries as well as Afro-Caribbean and international food products. Looking to save money? Then Supermarché Idia is the right place for you. Located at 72 Boulevard Saint-Jean-Baptiste in Chattergate, behind the A&W. Open seven days a week. For more information, check out their website at idiasupermarket.com. That's I-D-I-A supermarket.com. Oh, so, okay. So this was another one. Mm-hmm. So what does beadwork mean to you? And then the part, the other part of the question is the whole process being yeah. taught, learning new things and teaching others. So I wrote that question down. And what does it mean to me? It is, it is part of my life, plain and simple. Mm-hmm. It has really been, it's part of my being now. Mm-hmm. And I really do love it. I do love to do beadwork and I'm, I mean, obviously, I mean, this is part of what our podcast is about is beadwork and it's a part of our lives because now we're talking about it at least yeah. every month. Every day we get together, we talk about something. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I, beads are part of my life in general, every day, mm-hmm. whether they're actually on my table waiting to be beaded or thinking about something that I could potentially have in the works or feeling like I should and I want to be beading, but I can't. Mm-hmm. Um in terms of, and, I, and this is really interesting because I, I was asked a question yesterday in my interview about part of the project is uh, community engagement. And um, I had to like, when I started my application process, I have to engage in with the community. And I thought, well, one of the ways I can engage it with the community is to actually teach somebody how to do something. And I don't necessarily teach beadwork. I have in the past, I've done small, I've actually done a cradle board wrap pro, uh, project with Sandra Cross when she had her little art co, I believe it was called, in Gunawaga. And so I did a class there on cradleboard wraps, but I don't do a lot of teaching just because I think I'm too hard. I'd be too hard on myself and feel like, you know, like, oh man, I don't know if I'm doing a good job and hopefully like they're doing well and that kind of stuff. So that's one of the reasons. But with this in community engagement, I thought, okay, you know what? You got to do it. You have, that's part of the project. And it's something that's important because I don't know who I was talking to or where I saw or something where if you have something you should share as much as you can. And I've been, I've been able to share verbally and also share through pictures what I've been doing, but I haven't done a lot of hands-on teaching in the beadwork part. And I thought, okay, so I'm going to do this. So I'm going to be doing, hopefully if I get the project, 
a small class with small people. That being said, I know my limitation. I can't go and do a a class with 10 people, I don't think. I don't think one I could do justice. I think I'd be too frazzled and crazy and I wouldn't want to inflict any a participant on that kind of stuff. But I see like where that is part of what I need to do as somebody who's in this who's gotten to where I am and have and has gotten to where I am because somebody took the time to actually mentor me and show me how to do different things. Cause if not, then I probably wouldn't be a beadwork artist. So it's like paying it forward. You have to kind of mm-hmm. main, maintain that so that it can be maintained. So I think that's what beadwork is. It's the sharing. It's the, it's a sharing. It's yeah, it's sharing. Cause that's really what it came out from the bead babes. When I first started is that's where it came from. It's family. It's good times. It's Mm-hmm. sore fingers it's 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 wonderful that's it's like, medicine oh my god so okay so i didn't want to bring that up right away because i know margaret has something to say about it but i'm going to say this because i have to be truthful last episode i said i don't prescribe to that but just the other day my prescription literally for bringing down my cortisol <laughs> Levels in my body because I was feeling a certain way was to do beadwork. There you go, everybody. It literally was medicine. I still don't feel very comfortable saying that beading is medicine. How ironic and how ridiculous that sounds that I just said it was medicine. Literally, I still feel in my hands are sweating that it just does not feel comfortable (laughs) to say (laughs) beading is medicine. Because I don't talk that way. Yeah. Like I don't say. I, I Maybe I, you would describe it a different way. You know, it's, yeah, it's just probably, a language. Yeah. It's just the word. It's just a language. And, yeah. and, and, and I know exactly why. And I'm going to say this. And it's probably going to be like, oh, my God. It's because I don't want to. Oh, man. I'm going to really put myself out there now because it's going to say something. I'm going to say something that probably will be. be saying something about somebody probably. So if I am offending you, I really do apologize. (laughs) I don't want that new wave lingo, like that thoughts and prayers and all that. The hokey pokiness of it all. There you go. The hokey pokiness of it all to, that's not what I prescribe to. So when I, when I hear that beating is medicine, it makes me feel like that hokiness part of it. Like thoughts and prayers and like, all those like peace rainbows and, and all that jazz and peace and love <laughs> and all that stuff, which I prescribe to. I prescribe to Skana and Gururukwatsara and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. But in that context and how it's made to be a new thing, I think, or however, mm-hmm. I don't like that. So that's what it is for me. And I know exactly why it is that way. Because it makes it feel like it's it's hokey and it's not true to... I don't it, it, it like, just, it, I know. I, it just it, makes it not good. Commercial or something. I don't know what... It's, but, um, I don't think this is the right word. I don't want to say cheapens it, but it's that idea that because it, here's, some, kind of, yeah. here's some, here's some, here's some more like ridiculous words, but in some ways it's sacred to us. <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> sacred medicine. And we're just laughing because uh, we, we're, yeah. we're, we're two Ungwuhua women who 
<laughs> and and I'm not saying that because you're if you're an Ungohuan woman and, and you can't talk like you can talk and you can own those words and all that stuff. Yeah, if you're comfortable. But we're coming from a place where that is like that's not language we use. use. Yeah. yeah. It's it's it comes down to the same concept as God, Sungwe Dizu, like whatever language you, you prefer use, to yeah. put in there is is what it is. It yeah. probably means the same to everybody, but that language doesn't jive with us. Like, yeah, like yeah. I'm not or, very, I yeah. I I don't ever say really sacred. Yeah, neither so, do I. Yeah, yeah but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I get it because it, it holds a different feeling in one way. And then when you say it a certain way, sometimes it, it feels like it's not as important or it just feels like it's very commercial, very it's cheap. It's not authentic it, or, to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's what so, it is. I get it. Yeah. And so, and when I talk about things that are like Ungwahua stuff, I, try, I tend to now use Ungwahua language. Like, I don't know what you would say. What is the word for that? original light I don't know what it is <laughs> language it's like it's like I'm gonna just say what they would say in like before people were so very P PC Indian language we'll just say that <laughs> Indian. Indian language you know like oh you're talking the Indian language anyway so but that's like what I talk how I talk about that kind of thing I don't often use the English vernacular for those kind of type of things. So it yeah. makes me feel uncomfortable. It would be interesting, like if you're listening <laughs> to us ramble on about this one, how would you describe it? What would what words would you put in there? Like for how would you change the phrase beadwork is medicine? What would it be for you? Because it is a connection. We do yeah. carry a connection mm -hmm. with it. And sometimes people aren't comfortable yeah. using that that language to say oh it's it's medicine it's my healing powers it's even and, how you say it yeah. <laughs> well because i'm getting crazy but but yeah it you know yeah. i get it. it it's sometimes it's just the language sometimes it's the same exact meaning everyone will have the same feeling but with a different word so what word would you use so so audience <laughs> would be, there's your there's your there's your very, there's your homework homework for today <laughs> okay. we want to hear <laughs> All right. Oh, so for me, you know, let's get back to that question. So, yeah. So what does beadwork mean to you? So my thing was uh, all deep and dark, not dark, but deep in there. So what does beadwork mean to you? So basically what you said, I agree with all of that. You know, it's I find at some point you kind of reach a point when when you're doing beadwork constantly, when it becomes your job and your life, mm -hmm. it, it does become part of your identity in a sense. Mm -hmm. You get noticed or no, not noticed, but you're known for, oh, okay, that's the person who does beadwork. Mm -hmm. You know, it does become an identity a little bit yeah. for, you know, whatever. Um, so I find in, in some ways, like, I feel like sometimes I teeter in there, like, that's my job. This is what I mm -hmm. do all the time. So it's like, yes, that's, I'm known to be somebody who does beadwork yeah. all the time, you know. It is something I do every day. It's something that I provide my family with, you know, things like that. So deeper into all of that. What it meant for me, I guess, beadwork and the whole process of doing it all and all of that was within my family, we don't have bead. Well, cousins, yes, and all that. Mm -hmm. But my direct line, my yeah. mother, my grandmother were not beadwork artists. It was my great grandmother. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go too much into the story because it's not all mine to tell. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. not all my experiences. But my great grandmother, I've talked about this, I think before she raised my grand, my mother, yeah. my grandmother moved away to work because they were very poor. So she went away to work. She would send money home and things like that. And she left my mother with her mother. Mm -hmm. My great grandmother was a rough person from what I had heard. So my mother had a, a hard upbringing with her. So I was so angry about that, mm. like for mm -hmm. a long time, just I guess hearing some of the stories mm -hmm. and like 
And as I got older, learning like my shit and going through it, like, Mm -hmm. why am I always so mad? Why do I always feel like shit? Why is it? You see the parallel. Yeah. You see that intergenerational crap that comes down, Mm -hmm. you know, it comes down the line. And my mother did a lot of work on herself to not carry a lot of those things. I can't say that I had an awful upbringing with Mm -hmm. my mother because she was not she was not abusive. I didn't go through those kind of traumas and things like that. But there is still some of the emotional crap that we all carry all the way down, you know. Things seep through, right? Exactly. So I remember just feeling like that bitch, you know, (laughs) like just being mad about why did people have to be so mean before? Mm-hmm. Because now I feel mean and now I feel like I'm mean to my kid, you know, like blaming yeah. mm-hmm. and blaming somebody. So I found doing my beadwork and learning. I don't think I would have learned so much about my great grandmother if I didn't bead. Mm-hmm. I think just beading and stuff, a lot of stories would come out. Mm-hmm. Like my mother would be like, oh, well, this would happen. So I started seeing her in a different light mm-hmm. that she wasn't this big monster all the time or yeah. Because it was the few stories maybe I had heard that I felt like, wow, she was rotten, you know. But all these other things didn't come out because whatever, we just didn't talk about it. But now it was like, as I did my process through my beadwork, my art and all that, my mother would um, kind of talk about those times. Like, you know, her stories of sitting with her her grandmother and doing her beadwork and I don't know, different things like that. So it kind of gave me a different perspective. Sorry, I'm like nervous talking about it. I know, this. you're like, yeah, I can I'm see like, it on your uh, face, but yeah. That's okay, because it's feelings and that's what it is. And it's, it's yeah. I can feel it. No, <laughs> I'm like starting to tear up, but yeah. So I, sorry, I'm like, it's making me cry. <laughs> but it was going through that process and learning that, okay, you know what? Like it, it was forgiving mm-hmm. some of our family pasts and some of the family hurts that we all had to go through. Like it wasn't all what you thought it was and you thought it was like, for lack of a better word, bad. And it wasn't all bad. And it's realizing there was so much good that you didn't know necessarily. And that maybe. Yeah. And and be, being able to forgive this woman who hurt my mother or mm-hmm. hurt her daughter or, you know, those kind mm-hmm. of things. Like, so, I, yeah, I was like going through that whole process and. And learning about this woman. So, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it helped me to learn, you know, mm-hmm. and to be able to forgive and change some of our our past, you know. So, that's kind of what it was to me, I guess. Sorry, I'm like. <laughs> but, yeah, it kind of helped that whole process and what it taught me and things like that. And just it helps the whole yeah, it just helped my whole process of of learning and finding out who I was because I had to, you okay, know. It, it literally changed the trajectory of your family and how you, as a member of that family, can navigate with all these new things that you've learned about. Yeah. Like when you think of somebody and you think of somebody in your family who may have done something that could have hurt somebody... And maybe thinking, mm, maybe that's why the person is how they are today. But when you let it go and you see it for what it is and you see the whole person, not necessarily the isolated one thing yeah. that you know, you have a better understanding and you can really see it for the whole big picture rather than just that one isolated yeah, the, the thing. the few little things. And it, it kind of made me connect with this woman because it was like, well, she did beadwork. Yeah, that was the connection because now I was like, this is not something that is in our family now mm-hmm. you know it hadn't been in my family growing up and things like that so it made me dig more into it like well what was she like when she wasn't 
freaking out on everybody and mm-hmm. what was life like for her? Why was she that way? You know, why why was she so bitter and and hard when when my mother was growing up? Mm-hmm. So it yeah, it really helped that connection and to bridge that. Yeah. So it was and a then, and then what ended thing. up happening is that you ended up helping to I think I I would assume that from what I know is that you then offered a class or you started to bridge it for more for your extended family, right? So now they're doing beadwork also. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of them, uh, a lot of my family members do, a lot of my cousins also do beadwork Mm -hmm. on that. That's all their great-grandmother or their grandmother, you know. Um, A lot of us do that. And a lot of them also don't know these stories either. You know, they maybe their their mothers or their Mm -hmm. fathers didn't speak about their mother and, and things like that, you know. So... It was learning these processes and learning this stuff. So it's kind of like, yeah, everyone started to uh, to learn what things were like, but then trying to forgive it, you mm-hmm. know, and let it go. So, yeah, so that, you know, hear me and my big soppy mess, but that's kind of, that was my process, yeah. you know, with all of it. The teaching others and all that, that's just, that's what it is. I don't yeah. know, for me, it's the... It's the instant gratification. <laughs> it's teaching somebody else. It's knowing how I feel when I learn something new mm-hmm. and that excitement you get like, oh, my God, I finally figured it out. Like I just had a conversation with a friend not too long ago about how sometimes it, it could be something, the simplest things that you overlooked because probably it's the simplest thing. You mm-hmm. don't look at it and it opens up a whole new doorway once you realize the functions of it or whatever i was i was talking about beadwork at the time and how now before when i first started i needed a pattern like somebody else to oh, give me a pattern mm-hmm. i didn't know how to make them myself because mm-hmm. i didn't know the whole construction of everything so i didn't know how the functions went and all of that so it was like just as simple as knowing measurements and why they sit a certain way and then how to you know how to adapt it like it changed like my whole outlook on moccasins to the point where now I'm pretty sure I could probably put a moccasin together without like the notches and the the puckers and everything, well, mm-hmm. with the puckers, but without having to mark everything because I've been studying it and mm-hmm. practicing it. Like I know the functions and how it works. So it it's like that constant progression. So I know how it felt when I was so excited to learn that. And it's nice to see it when you teach somebody else. Mm-hmm. That's where you get that gratification because you see that light bulb go on in their brain and you see it on their face. They're so proud of their accomplishments yeah. and what they've done and they see the hard work that they've put in. And so that's um, that's the part I like about teaching and all that stuff. So well, um, before we go on, I just want to say thank you for sharing what you shared. Mm-hmm. And being on the opposite side of the table, I was just like, oh, man, like <gasps> I could see it as soon as you started talking about it. I could see it building and building. But that's part of what it is. Right. And that's what happens at a beading table is that we sh- we're not necessarily just talking about beadwork stuff, but we're just in a space where we feel comfortable and we're sharing just in general about life. And a lot of times you're sharing about personal things that are happening. And so that's what yeah. it's like. So, yeah. Yeah. Because it, it, it really did. It helped it. You know, me and my me and my grandmother, she's not with us anymore, but um my grandmother, I love my grandmother. We are probably the same person mm-hmm. and I can't say that we didn't get along, but we used to fight a lot. Mm-hmm. We used to argue back and forth. But we're opinionated people and we speak our minds, you know, and sometimes we're short with each other and that's what it is, you know. Mm-hmm. 
she didn't live here my whole life. My yeah. grandmother, she was in Brooklyn uh, for a long time, then moved back after um, her husband had passed. Um, so living with her and all that and, and really living with her and learning some of these things, like for a while, yeah, that's what I was talking about, like the anger and those kind of things, because I would see some of these traits and, and I would be mad at them about it. Like her, my mother, not so much, because like I said, my mother did a lot of her own healing and stuff yep. like that. So she, she changed a lot of our narrative, but you could see where my mother, my grandmother sat because of what she learned from her mother. Yeah. And I was so angry with all of it. Like, why the hell can't you just be nice? Like, mm -hmm. you know, I walk in a room and why can't you just say something nice instead of criticizing me or saying, you know, that yeah. kind of thing all the time. So it was, it's, it was just being able to recognize, to see where these people come from by digging mm -hmm. deep into it. Yeah. And, and the beadwork kind of brought that all together, basically, which is weird, but because it has nothing to do with any of it, but it's, just, it, that's the way I, that was the conduit, know, the conduit to, to learning all that crap. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was, it's been a pretty interesting road, but yeah. And, and I think too, I, I think that um, could lend itself also to like language. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's like the same thing, like in like people, she did B work, but she didn't teach anybody else the same kind of thing, you know, like, and then when you're learning language or you're learning whatever it was that your quote unquote ancestors did, it brings all these other things up. So. And, and I'd like to also say, like, finding out that, you know, my grandmother was not always mean either. I don't want to yeah, paint that picture. Yeah, just isolated things, yeah. Yeah, it's isolated things, but they were fun. They were funny. And then even learning as, like, l later on with my great-grandmother, learning that my mother now openly started talking more about her. And as she aged, she became the sweetest person. Mm -hmm. She was such a nice woman, my mother said, when she got older. It was when she was younger, under the stress of raising like 100 and kids. And probably beating to, to, provide they were for her, poor. to provide for her family yes. somehow. And um, her husband worked away, so he wasn't there. So she didn't have, you know, that extra support yeah. system. Then taking in her grandchildren, taking in some of her, her nieces and nephews, that kind of thing. Like, yeah. so I understand, but it took me a while to understand those kind of things, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, they weren't just born that way. They're, they're circumstances that created those, yeah. you know, but then learning on that. Yeah. You know what? Like she was a nice person and <laughs> not what I mm -hmm. envisioned her as and, and me holding that anger forever yeah. about it, you know, so that's all that. We do have a few more, I guess. Go for it. <laughs> We're uh, like long Just in here. Maybe one more. Can we go to one more? Sure. Um, what are your thoughts on other Ungwehue people doing Haudenosaunee beadwork? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Like, well, I mean, I guess it kind of depends on the context. And it, like most questions, it's not just black and white. I think for myself anyway, there's a lot of gray area. And I think it depends on the context of like what it is you're doing. If you're an Ungwehua person living in a Ungwe, in a Haudenosaunee community and you're teaching Ungwehua children and you're trying to have a lesson on beadwork, depending on what age, you would try to show them what it is that they're doing. And if that's Haudenosaunee beadwork, then that's Haudenosaunee beadwork. And also maybe exposing them to whatever it is kind of beadwork that you do as your personal self. But this say this is what we kind of do. This is what your people in the community do. Then, Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I've ever done something that wasn't necessarily quote unquote would be considered my own. And and, and that's what it like, you know, like, like I do raise bee work. I've dabbled in pottery here and there. I'm not a potter at any 
I'm not nerve recognized. I, it was fugly, but anyway, <laughs> but I did it. I've done different things like that. Um, I think in terms of like, if I went and did Hodun, uh, Hopi pottery, I'm Hopi, I would do that. If yeah. I, if I knew how, if I had the skill level and the scent, the the stability of my hand to do the painting on it. Of course I would of course do that, but I, but it wasn't raised that way. So I don't have that knowledge. Would I go out and do Ojibwe flat floral beadwork in the Ojibwe style? I don't necessarily think I would just cause, well, that's not kind of who I am. So, I mean, if, if that answers a question, then I don't really know. I just don't <laughs> feel comfortable doing that. Like that's not, yeah, to, it's almost like a to each their own type of thing. I Who has license and who has rule over that? I don't know. That's like, yeah, because that question could be like, well, like when I I see that, it says when people aren't from your our nation doing our style of beadwork. Well, OK, uh, well, I don't know who is in charge of that. Yeah, who like, decides I don't feel like I'm can. in charge of that. Like I would like it's a slippery slope. And <laughs> I, I think it depends, like I said, on the context. I think it depends on a lot of stuff, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I, I for me, I, I really don't. I don't and care. I think there's a differentiation. <laughs> and I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it because I have to say it and own it. Is that there's a differentiation between Ungwa, another Ungwahuma person and a not Ungwahuma person doing yeah. the B work. Yeah. What it is exactly, I don't know. But but it just feels like it just that's feels the way it is. that there's a differentiation. Yeah. And I don't know what it is. And I'm not going to try to unpack it right now. I just feel like. I think me as an artist, I if I were, you know, like if I were going to do like Ojibwe flowers and line work and all all their somebody else's stuff, I might, I might want to, but, but I would identify who it belongs to, yeah. where it comes from that, you know, as an artist, this is, I'm recreating uh, something else. But there is also an importance to that too, about what I was saying about doing your your homework too, yeah. because I, I don't know all nations stuff. I don't know some of their things like, um, I don't know if some of them have sac sacred, <laughs> sac like mm -hmm. some of their line work it yeah. means something to them yeah. in a certain way or whatever. Like, so that's sometimes the slippery slope too, is that if you're taking on other people's stuff, you don't know what that means to them. Yeah you know, uh, culturally or ceremonially or, uh -huh. you know, those kind of things. So sometimes that's what's hard, you know, in general, if it's just like uh, generalized things, like uh -huh. then, you know, I, but I wouldn't be, I wouldn't do it and say like, oh, I made this up, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I wouldn't try to take ownership over it, you know, those kind of things. So I, for the most part, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, for me, it's the same. I don't really, um. It doesn't bug me to see other Ungwehue people doing different styles of uh -huh. of beadwork. I do kind of think that, yeah, maybe, you know, just say this is where it actually originated from, maybe. Uh -huh. You know, like it belongs to these people. But beyond that, like, unless it's something really taboo and somebody's like beating like masks or something like, you know, like uh -huh. where they're doing, you know, those kind of things, then yeah, like that wouldn't be cool or. What I wanted to say and and. Is that my mother, my mother, my mother. Hi, Jessica. Jessica Hill, hello. <laughs> my mother was asked by one of her friends to do a yoke because my mother had made herself, I believe, two different yokes at two, at two different times. And one, and while she was beating, I believe, the, the latest yoke that she was beating for herself, she was beating it while she was at her friend's house and she saw. And her friend asked her, hey, 
you know, would you beat me a yoke? So what my mother did is because the woman was Anishinaabe, she ended up beating flat. The floral was Anishinaabe floral beadwork designs mm -hmm. because that's who it was for. And that's who was going to be wearing it. Yeah. So context. that, yeah, the con there's that context. So like, it depends on the context really. Like yeah. I had said before, like I was at a school and I was teaching non-native people how to do moccasins because there was people were teaching the children who that belonged to. So it gives them the context and how to be able to teach the kids or that to they're inform with, yeah. the kids that they're with. So it depends on the context, I guess. So, but yeah, so I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's to me, I kind of, I don't know. It doesn't bother me. I don't really have any hangups on that one. So yeah. Now the last question, yeah. don't cancel us, please. So this one might be like, well, it depends on what we say, oh my I God, guess. What, you, but. what is the question? I'm like, what is it that I wrote my book? <laughs> All right. Thoughts on people cashing in on Every Child Matters merchandise? I would not do it personally. Yeah. That's first and foremost. <laughs> I, I would not do that. Mm -hmm. That's not for me. And yeah. I'm, aside from buying a, re a orange shirt at the store, like a regular orange shirt, like, and that's like at a Michael's, mm -hmm. I'm not really, I'm not purchasing stuff like that. Yeah, that's not so I so I don't I wouldn't kind of like was his cashing in. I'm not helping somebody cash in on that because <laughs> that's not what I would do. But I'm not for that at all. Unless unless you are doing that and giving the proceeds to wherever or Survivors whoever is supposed to go to because that's their it's our all lived. It's not our personal direct. All of us are lived experience, but we're all, of course affected by that experience but i i don't i'm not that's not where i'm putting my money and my energy and i don't even yeah i don't i i just don't I'm, i don't okay i don't think it's right to be cashing in and not giving it to somebody where it belongs or where it could potentially be helpful and there are people who do that people who are doing and making things or whatever that are then funding different organizations are funding different activities for kids to be part of whatever or do whatever. So there are people who are doing, I don't want to say doing good, but for a lack of a better word, doing good by creating funding yeah. through that. But I guess it really depends on who, what you're doing and what you're doing with that money, if it can be considered cashing in, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> that's I like a know. very touchy, uh, because everyone has their, their kind of my notes on this. I said, everyone has their own relationship with it. Some yeah. people, some people buy or sell or do that because that's their connection to it. That's how they feel connected to it. Because not all of mm -hmm. us have a connection with it, you know, f firsthand and all that. My family doesn't mm -hmm. have that connection. My grandmother and my, my, my great uncles and all that, they went to day schools. Mm -hmm. My mother went to day schools. Those are, you know, those kind of things. Like, it's shitty and all that. Like, they went through their own crap. Residential schools. I have one great-grandfather that went, you know, those kind of things. But my connection to it, I yeah. don't feel like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel on yeah, it, I guess, me, you know. My grandmother, my mother's mother went to mm -hmm. residential school. My stepfather, who I could, my dad. His father went to residential school. Mm -hmm. A very close family friend of ours went to residential school. I can't see myself doing that. Like that is like, yeah, I, I, it's kind of sickening. And I'll be telling you like the honest, like that would be feeling sickening. When you say cashing in, that sounds like something bad. Like they're stealing something from somebody. That sounds yeah. bad to me. So I don't, 
I'm not I'm not accepting of that. Yeah, to that extent to say that. Yeah, I get that. Because but, but when it's worded like that, cashing in, that's what I see. I see it as being bad thing. So if you're doing bad things regardless and trying to make money off something that is horrible, well then that sounds like cashing in. So yeah, I'm not for that. If you're doing something and you're doing and you're making it a good by doing something else and by making money to help people or whatever or all that, then yeah, but I don't feel good about that. Yeah, and and I what was hard too because I was looking at like a lot of the the things that we do and in some ways there's like the devil's advocate, I guess, mm-hmm. towards totally. all of this because mm-hmm. then I look at sometimes like for so long these people sat in the dark. They were their their traumas, their horrible experiences were always in the dark. Yeah. They were never brought to light. They were never really looked at mm-hmm. or put out there. Some don't want that. And some are okay with the acknowledgement to say, mm-hmm. we see you. But we're don't here. throw it in our face. Yeah. We're here for you. That kind of thing. So some of them, some people who, ha- who have experienced that are okay with these kind of things. Yeah, with totally. having, having, um, you know, Having merchandise out there, having that being out there now and, mm-hmm. and, and in the public eye and things like that, because it does bring awareness. Yep. And at some point, yes, to a certain extent, somebody's got to make it if it's going to be out yeah. there. You mm-hmm. know, I do totally agree with the idea that if you are cre- if you're doing that to give back the money to mm-hmm. something else, like, I, you know, some people were even saying like, the, it does take time. It does mm-hmm. like cost. So I understand yeah. some people having to create to to make some profit yeah. back to continue doing those things. But I am a firm believer of giving back to some of those programs that that help the survivors. Or like here, people have been donating to language programs yep. to rebuild those mm-hmm. things that were taken and broken for us. You yep. know, so I that's where I kind of stand on it. To to look at it, I guess, in that darker light to say, like, it's a money grab. I'm not cool with that. Just to say, like, let me jump on the bandwagon and mm-hmm. make money off of this. Yeah, that's, you know, th- we know the stories and we yeah. know what's happened to these people. And and I, I'm not cool with just, yeah, like, yeah. like that, like cashing in on, <laughs> on yeah. those kind of things. But and I will say that that goes the same thing for the murdered, missing Indigenous yeah. women, too. Like that, that part, too. Like, if you're not. If you're just making things and just, and yeah, if you're just making things just to cash in to because it's, or, because you think it's a popular thing and a theme that is going to. Yeah. Don't make it trendy. trendy. Yeah. Then, yeah. then th- that's not cool at all. I'm saying, yata, no way. Like that makes me sick <laughs> and my hands are sweating just thinking about it. Cause it makes me so, it yeah. makes me mad. It just is not good. Yeah. It's not cool. And, and you know, advantage. Every, you know, like we're saying these things and they say it after our podcast, like we are not, uh, we are not, oh wait, <laughs> the thoughts and, or the, the ideas expressed in the podcast are not, do not reflect, reflect that <laughs> of the place who is sponsoring our podcast. And that's true. That's is our perspective. This is mine. I'm saying I'm not good with it. Yeah. Me, I am a beadwork artist and I'm a language coach and I am saying, yata. don't try to <laughs> make stuff, don't make money off other people's tragedies. Yeah. And it's in general, anybody, not anybody. Don't do that. It's not fun. It's not, not, it's not good. Yeah. It's not cool. I, and that's kind of where I stand on, on a lot of it, you know, so it's, um, it's touchy. Not everybody is going to feel that way. We may have, you know, like chapped some people's asses, which is, I can't help it. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone. Yeah. And if you have something to say, say it to us, write us and tell us like, you know, we're cool. (laughs) We're accepting of feedback and because 
we have to, we have to be accepting of feedback because we are putting our own opinions on live yeah. a, on, on the air for anyone to hear now next week when it airs or in 20 years when somebody might come across it in a wherever in the <laughs> dark capsule. hole of the, the internet <laughs> so we know what we're saying we might not remember it as soon as we leave here and we'll have to listen to the podcast when it is then published. <laughs> yeah, because we don't even remember in a week what we've said. So we're always like, oh, my God. So but yeah, that, but yeah. that's our stance on on those kind of things. It's it's kind of it is a very touchy subject. And and it's very one sided. It's from our perspective, which we are not. Yeah, this you know, is not so. the holy grail. Like, you know, don't. Don't cancel us. <laughs> like we have an opinion. Everyone else has opinion. We're not saying that everything we say here is the holy gospel and we're it's right not. and you're wrong. That's not the way it is. This no. is just how I feel on on this subject and or we have anything a platform else. So. And we're talking and people asked us. So we're we're given what we're given what the people want. <laughs> Our sacred words. Now I'm just acting crazy. So don't don't no, I should say I apologize. If I just made fun of the word sacred, because I know some people really do. And this is being, being completely honest. I know some people really are. They're okay with Might that. be offended with that. So yeah. I want to right now apologize for that because that was, that was not cool. So. Yeah. That's <laughs> so great. Now I just put myself in a big, big giant hole, but whatever. That's a, <laughs> but whatever. it is what it is. It is what it is. Not everyone's the same. So, not everyone's you know. the same. And. Um, on that so note, on that note, we have others, but we will move that for next next time. Well, actually, there's two questions. So, just one question was, what inspires you to make a title of your work? Oh, we will Christ. we will pose that one for the next. But I'm just telling you, that's one of the questions for the okay. next podcast is, what inspires a title for your work, and also how do you get back to a beating project that you started years ago? So oh, those yeah. will be right on to the next episode. So yeah, we'll, we'll do that. My next top, my other topic too for next next time, what I wanted to talk about was I wanted to talk about <laughs> how for me, somebody who suffered or sometimes goes through anxieties, okay. like severe anxieties yeah. and the process of beating and what, how it helped and just yeah. to go into some of that stuff. So that'll be for next. So next the time. question, aside from the question that was posed earlier, would be how has beadwork affected your life? in the quote unquote terms of medicine and how uh, do you relate to it? And uh, yeah, that, that'd be very interesting because it would, it would be, it will provide some content for our next podcast. Yeah, so we'll put that question out there on yeah. Instagram. So now everybody for listening, I hope we, I hope we, <laughs> I hope we did. You. <laughs> yeah. And we were just being our honest selves and that's what you can expect at the beating table. So, yeah. and again, our opinions and views are not all and all be all they whatever. They ours. They're ours. You know, we, we will, you know, and, um, take and, a, take accountability for them. Yeah. But like, so if, it's if okay. anything we've said today pissed you off, let us know and we'll, you know. We'll and we'll have a dialogue and talk about it because that's what we can do. So, and that will not be on the air, obviously. We yeah. can do it in pub, in private or if you want it to be public, it can be. And it's if you, you liked it, let us know that yes, too. Yes, <laughs> let us know if you like our thing and shout outs to all those, shout outs again, shout outs to all those people who posted about listening to the podcast on their travels or picking or oh, finally yeah. getting back to beadwork or any of those things. We really enjoy seeing those pictures and those comments and I'm sure our, um, I'm sure other people who are listening like to see that too because I think sometimes we have the shared experiences. So yeah, we'll go everybody for listening to the beading table and we will see you back here next month. Yep. Bye. Bye. The views and opinions of the guests expressed in this podcast do not reflect those of Redivisay and its employees.